Today's guest was once a teacher. Then he had a business cleaning portable toilets. <laughs> now he's the inventor of the 180 light, the world's first peripheral LED headlamp. Don't you love hearing about some people's career progressions, especially when they're backed by juvenile sound effects? <laughs> it's an immature episode 483 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I say welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing stupidity. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly... You're a motivated business owner, ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly what we do around here. Plus, if that's not enough, you can join our free Facebook group for some ongoing accountability and support. All you need to do is search on Facebook for the Small Business Big Marketing Tribe. Big episode today. Amin Avi shed some light on how he invented a simple product which didn't exist until just a few years ago. And between you and I, I think he should be doing a lot better than he is. More on that conundrum very shortly. A motivated listener is inspired to start their own podcast and as a result gets asked to speak at a pretty bloody big conference, like I'm talking global conference. So of course they take home the goodies in this week's Monster Prize Draw and I'll fill you in on next week's guest who's going to show you the motivated business owner how to write, publish and promote your first book. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Okay, let's meet Amin Avi. He's the inventor of the 180 light, which is the world's first peripheral LED headlamp, which is a fancy way of saying that it's a light that you strap on your head and it illuminates everything in front of you. Now, he's done okay with it. He's raised $150,000 on Kickstarter. He only wanted $15,000. And he sold plenty of lights and accessories. But here's the thing. He's not a millionaire. Yet. He's not an e-commerce rock star. Yet. In fact, he's not totally convinced he's got what it takes to be either of those things. Yet. And that's what I like about him. Amin is just a bloke who used to be a teacher then started a portable toilet cleaning business. He then tried his hand at product development and here he is today. So maybe this time, have a listen to what Amin has to share. After all, he's no dummy. He's invented a pretty cool product, which he's wholesaling, selling online and making a living from it. But at the end of this chat, I list a few more things he could be doing to grow his business and I'm going to give you the chance to share your thoughts with him as well. So I started off by asking Amin how portable toilets led to the invention of the 180 light. Oh, okay. So 
during college, I, I actually, we had moved, was living in Las Vegas and my wife was from a small town and we had moved outside to live in this small town. So I would travel back and forth. And in this hour commute with a friend of mine, we got talking about different business ideas. And eventually what happened is we had a guy in this small town come to us and say, hey, listen, I've got some money. We need a portable potty company in this town because of the construction boom. I've got $30,000 that I'm willing to loan you if you want to start this company. So we were like, you know, we're in college. Let's just do this thing. So that led to us uh, starting this porta potty company. And it was shortly after we got it started that I graduated, was teaching school. And because I was during the day teaching school, I spent the evenings slash nights out cleaning porta potties. And so it was typically dark and I had to have some sort of light, used headlamps, and, um, and then flash, you know, jump ahead. To when we were kind of messing around with these lights and put it across my head that I could see outside of my peripheral vision, not just the spotlight in front of me. I flashed right back to sitting inside of a porta potty, looking down, being frustrated that I couldn't see more than that little dot. Right, you weren't you weren't tempted to keep the porta potty business going, or have you? And you've outsourced it to others. You know what? So we. <laughs> After two years, we ran it for two and a half years. I, I took a different job and left the the town we were in, and because of that, we decided rather than you know my partner buy me out, we we opted to sell it, which actually worked out great for us because it was like seven or eight months later there was a big crash in construction, and yeah, we kind of got lucky on that one. So, um, there, as an aside, there is a great Australian film called Kenny. Okay, and Kenny is a plumber. And a very lovable rogue, and uh, he spends a lot of time cleaning portaloos at rock concerts and festivals. And I think yes. you'll you'll empathise a lot with him. Absolutely, I think there's a great. He's very Australian, but one of the quotes out of it is he walks into one porta potty at a concert. And he goes, and he's got a bit of a lisp, and he goes, yeah. "There's a smell in here that it outlasts religion." <laughs> do that very well, but uh, that is well said. To, <laughs> I encourage you to watch Kenny if you can get your hands. I, I wrote on it. it down. I did. I wrote yeah. it down. I love it. Love I'll it. check it out. So, um, okay. So you are cleaning porta potties. You like you, you work with during the night isn't working. You come up with this one eighty light. Yes. How does that work? So you have an idea. I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by we all we all have ideas. We have ideas every single day as yeah, human absolutely. beings. Yeah. Um, but taking that idea to market is, is another thing. Explain how you did that. It is. And uh, to be honest with you, at the time, I, I had no idea what it was going to take. Um, I had some very distant, not very good connections with some manufacturers. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that there's any magical formula for what happened next. I just basically started reaching out, emailing a lot of different manufacturers and you know related relevant fields like battery and LED and and just tried to get every type of sample that they offered, explaining the concept. Uh, and it took. I mean, it was about a two year process, just over two wow. years to finally construct it, which is far longer than it probably should have taken, but just having no idea, you know, what I was doing, what we were doing. So what do you time. do? Do you, do you do some drawings and then you go, do you, what, do you go and register some patents first before so, you then take it out yeah. to manufacturers? So basically, one of the things that, I don't know if this was 
necessarily inspired or just coincidental. I look at it back now. I don't know why we did this, but we pieced everything together in different. So we had four different manufacturers producing separate things all coming together. Then we assembled the product. So, I mean, if somebody tried to go out and copy the product originally, it would have been impossible because there was nobody making the product by itself. Everybody, the, the different manufacturers were all making these individual parts that, to, you know, separate looked like nothing. But then we would bring those together and assemble and create what the final product was. So we didn't worry a ton initially about a patent and actually eventually filed for a provisional before we launched. Then after the, the launch and we saw that it was a product that people were going to be you know, interested in, then went ahead and filed for the patent. So it was a ways after we started the process of you know, development that we mm. did all the patent. And you got no experience at this point in product development, in None. Patent law in um, sourcing manufacturers. I love that. <laughs> well, just tell me the side. Share with us the psychology behind. Are you just a guy who doesn't see blockages? Are you an optimist? Are you uh, what's your mindset around stuff like this? That that's a good question. I think I. I mean, I feel like maybe I'm a little bit of a unrealistic person maybe in that regard. So I, I think it's something I say, it, I say naive. <laughs> yeah, totally. Completely that naive. I mean, I, I feel like I, I, I've had a lot of conversations throughout my life with people that I think have just come to learn to just blow me off. Kind of like, yeah, yeah, you, you talk about these big things. And, you know, this is kind of the first one I feel like that every any really kind of came to fruition and happened. Just tell me about that. So you've sort of grown up, what, for some reason, you're one of those guys who walks around espousing ideas or gets excited about things. And what are you surrounded yourself with naysayers or what's well, that? Well, like? I, I just think in general, people are more realist than I am. And, you know, you find the occasional person that's, that will buy in and be like, yeah, that's amazing. But most people, I don't think it's so much they're naysayers per se, as they are more realistic about their lives and what to expect and and, and that's fine. It, I don't know that it ever bothered me too much. I just felt like I was always a little different that way. And mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> so I interrupted when you said this is the first time that what had happened. Why, why was 180 light any different? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I was very hesitant growing up. I, I came from a very conservative family. Uh, my dad was in the military. Um, and safety and security was a, a immensely important part of our lives. So I, I felt like I was a little bit restricted on what I was, not, not that I was not able to think bigger, but I, but I felt more that I had a responsibility to be, you know, take on secure roles and not risk things. And I, and I got married very young and I had kids very young. And so it was like, I don't want to put my family at risk. I've got these young kids, I'm married and I need to be safe and secure and stable. And so if I had this idea that was going to take time and money, it was probably too much of a risk. So I better not do it kind of thing. Yeah, right. Right. But this one, you felt this could be, there's something in this. I I did, yeah. And isn't it amazing? Like I've never come up with an idea that doesn't already exist, uh, maybe outside of this show. But um, it must have felt amazing when you've gone, a 180-degree light gives you total peripheral vision. I'm just going to Google it. There's got to exist. And like yeah. you search and search and search and you're like, man, there's nothing around like this. Right. <laughs> what stopped you thinking then uh, that maybe there's a reason there's not something like this? You know, 
I don't, I'm trying to put myself back in the shoes. I was, I mean, the shock that I felt that there wasn't something like that was, I think initially that it was just, the surprise was amazing. I couldn't believe it. But then yeah. I think the thing that sat, you know, came on was, okay, but now what, right? Like, like you said, an idea is great. And I've had a million ideas. Everyone has ideas, but yeah. now what? And I think the overwhelming thought of what would, what was coming ahead was it when it was daunting. And, and in some ways I don't know how and why I continued forward to be completely honest mm-hmm. with you, but I don't know, maybe because it was slow enough and it was just, the process wasn't so intense. I'm, we didn't have to take on any debt through the process because it was so slow. Where was your income coming from at this stage? You'd sold the porty pot of business, had a bit of dough in the bank, did you? So basically at this time, I had I had quit teaching. So from the time I was teaching, I moved from having the teaching job, porta potty, sold that, moved into the college, um, higher education area. I did that for about five years. And at this point, I was actually doing just a random selection of things. I was doing some social media marketing. I was doing some shows and events to help out with uh, some friends of mine that were doing some marketing stuff. Uh, I was doing some private label product on, on Amazon. Oh, um, yeah. So there was a, a just a wide range of whatever I could do to get by. Yeah, you, were, you were hustling. Exactly, exactly. And nothing was really sticking very good, but I was just kind of getting by, you know, at that point. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So beautiful, and, and then so you you come up with uh, one eighty light, uh, and you went on Kickstarter looking yes. for fifteen grand. Yep, went on Kickstarter, um, and we kind of went back and forth on whether Kickstarter would be a good plan for us. Um, ultimately, we decided to do it. I mean, obviously, to get some money to start everything, but another big part of it was we hoped that it would kind of put the name and the concept out there. It was kind of a new idea. We, we were afraid that people wouldn't understand it, which which is still kind of true today. Really? Um, absolutely. I, I still feel like we get a lot of people that, you know, they see the light and they go, well, that's not what I was expecting to see when I think of a headlamp. So it's not, it's almost like it's just, the, it's, it's a new enough idea still that people are hesitant to try something until they get more social proof, maybe. I mean, I'm looking at your website. I'm looking at the product page right now. I would argue that you could probably have some better photographs um, in terms of, uh, you have the light. Your your hero shot for each product is the light in action. So there's a guy scaling a rock wall at night. There's a lady uh, jogging with the the belt light, mm-hmm. um, and there's a fellow wearing the helmet version of it. But you don't really see it. So maybe maybe this would be a, a simple way of educating people a bit quicker yeah. by having add, add some more photos. No, it's a good idea. Uh, invoice will be in the uh, post. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, okay, so Kickstarter-wise, you ended up raising $157,000, so quite a successful Kickstart um, crowdfunding campaign. What do you put that down to? Good question. <laughs> um, I think that the product is a product that, that suits the Kickstarter world very well. For one, mm-hmm. it's a light, and lights tend to draw attention. People have this, and I say people, there, there's a... a giant crowd of people in the world that just have this affinity for lights, flashlights, new flashlights, new lights of different types. And this light in particular is unique. And I think just a, a, a just seeing a photo is, is a very clickable image. Like you want to see what it is because it's so different and bizarre. Um, and then I feel like people saw that it actually really did, you know, it, it solved a, a problem that people face and Kickstarter is full of early adopters, which is like the perfect place for something new. 
because they want that new thing that's different and they're willing to take the risk. So it I, brings I, a whole new uh, spin to the idea of a bright, shiny object. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. We all have a bright, shiny object and this literally is one. Yes, absolutely. You said you were lis- you'd listened to a previous interview of mine with Cedar from yes. Flowhive, which was the beekeeping one where he, I think, holds one of the crowdfunding records, biggest crowdfunding records in the world. In fact, yes. I, I think he, he crashed the Indiegogo site. He hadn't started manufacturing. I mean, what he did was use Kickstarter to raise the funds to then build um, a list of buyers to then go into manufacturing. Had you done the same? No. So we were we were a little bit further ahead in the process at that point. And, and part of that was just because we were unsure whether Kickstarter or a crowdfunding site was going to be our path. So we wanted to be prepared either way. So we were we had basically had uh, most of the the connections and the manufacturing in place. And so the second we got funded before the manufacturer or before the Kickstarter had even ended, we actually initiated the orders to start the process um, of all the completion of tooling and everything because we had it all lined up and ready to go. You're in Texas, aren't you? Yes, sir. There you go. Yes, sir. <laughs> I've been to Texas, bloody big state. I interviewed a fellow a few years ago who sold, he, he'd sold or had, no, at the time he'd had for sale the second biggest cattle ranch in the world. It was called the Wagner Ranch. You may or may not know it, being a Texan. I don't know. But um, he had a sale price on it of $998 million <laughs> as, a, as a side little hustle. Not that's really. A small, yeah, small market buyer, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, um, I mean, you have a great Kickstarter campaign. You think you're onto something. Um, you're excited by it, although a little bit nervous having come from a conservative background with no um, experience in product development. Was there a moment when you looked your wife in the eye and said, oh, maybe I should go back to porta potties? Anyway? <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I think the doubt and fear has never left me, even to this day. I'm, I'm, I'm always a little nervous that, you know, that that it's not going to meet people's expectations and the product is not good enough for what people are wanting. And um, th- th- there's always that doubt lingering inside of me and fear that, you know, it, it's, it's not producing well enough. And I don't know if that'll, that'll ever go away. I mean, I hope it does, but up to this point, I, I still, I don't know, have this trepidation about it wow. all, the whole process. <laughs> wow. How many years in? So 2016. So yeah. Um, and, and do you have that doubt and fear around other parts of your life? Or I don't mean to sound like a psychologist, but... No, uh, no. Um, probably a little bit. Probably a little bit. More yeah. so in this area because it's so... I mean, I say it's so, you know, unpredictable, but I don't know what part of life is predictable. So, I mean, it is what it is. I don't, I don't know why. I wish I didn't feel that way. But. I've always thought in regards to product development, my biggest fear... I think would be copycats. Absolutely. And I've had this conversation with, um, had a lady who invented, you wouldn't believe it, uh, a local woman uh, who's invented the round beach towel. Can you believe that hadn't been invented? No, I and, mean, wow, yeah. Yeah, when I interviewed her, I think she sold like 100,000 of these round beach towels, but wow. the copycats were coming thick and fast. And Absolutely. her name was Victoria um, from a company called The Beach People. And she at one point had like this crazy spreadsheet and a person dedicated in her office to tracking, you know, the copycats. And in the end, and sending a cease and desist letters and all that kind of stuff, 
in the end, her attitude was, let's get on with business and do the best, create the best product we can. Because as they say, the best marketing is a great product. I um, imagine you've had copycats and yeah. how do you handle I mean, I think that that's exactly what I've what I've approached it as. I, I there's a movie that I always try to bring back into my mind, and I, I can't. Flash of Genius, I think, is the name of the movie. It's it's about the guy who invented the intermittent windshield wiper. So rather than being on one speed, he could change the speeds. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but what happens in the movie is the guy invents this product. He basically gets the product idea gets stolen, or the the patent gets taken by Ford or one of these big men, you know. Um, mm-hmm. auto companies and he spends his entire life trying to get credit back for that stolen idea and he loses his family and he loses all this stuff and I, and I think that that's kind of an extreme example and it was worth way more than this life that I've created but what he lost to try to track down and get back what he felt like he needed um, I just don't know that I can do that in my life and mm-hmm. so I can relate to exactly what you know, what she's doing with the beach towels is just, you got to move forward at some point. I think copying is, unfortunately, it's just an inevitability. And uh, as we're moving more globally and manufacturing is taking place all over and it's just, I don't know how you track that stuff and end it. I just Mm -hmm. don't know how you do it. Yeah. And I imagine you'd be constantly looking, looking over your shoulder, but as you say, um, the best policies to get on with business and, and create the best product and, and customer experience uh, that you can. I want to talk about customer experience in a minute too and see what you're offering. But you, um, you've you raised your money, uh, you get the product manufactured, you're away. Um, is your first step, uh, your first sales channel an e-commerce store at 180light.com or were you doing it through, selling it through Amazon? Were you wholesaling? How were you selling it? So the very first channel was through 180light.com. Uh, it was shortly after that we added to Amazon um, because, uh, again, I, I was already on Amazon selling just, I mean, not a lot, but a few private label products. Um, so I was already somewhat familiar with the Amazon platform. So that came shortly after. Uh, obviously, a preference for um, direct sales, Amazon taking, clipping the ticket at what, around 30%? Yep, exactly. Yep. Ouch. Yes. No, no 30% and not the opportunity for you, the manufacturer, the maker, the inventor to offer a customer experience because really what do you, don't you just, they're just drop shipping, aren't they? You know, you put the Correct. product with Amazon and they're just sending it out. So you can't put in a chocolate bar or, you know, a fun letter or anything, can you? The terms and service of, of Amazon have changed quite a bit over the years, but I mean, they are very protective of those customers and they they make sure that you know as a seller, a third-party seller, that those customers are not your customers. They are Amazon's customers. So they, they protect them pretty intensely. So yes, it's you don't have a lot of direct contact with them. What, what's your split now? And, and are you wholesaling to bricks and mortar retail? Basically, as people contacted us interested in wholesale, we, we did take on a few um, initially and had kind of held off on that for, I don't know that there was any specific reason um, until recently and have just kind of decided that that is a direction to move forward for the future. So wholesale is kind of something that just new in the last six, seven months or so that we've taken off and started to do a little bit more. Well, I would have thought that as you say, like uh, 180light.com would be the best place where you'd like to get most of your sales because that's where Absolutely. the big budgets are. Um, and e-commerce, I'm guessing too, was new to you. It was new. I mean, I had a little stint um, a few years earlier that I tried to set up like an affiliate site, uh, but again, not e-commerce, you know, so it was very different setting that up and what to do with 
It was Amish. And I mean, who's buying the 180 light? Because I'm. I, there's a great question. I interviewed a fellow years ago. His name's Phil McKinney, and he is. Um, he was head in, head of innovation at Hewlett Packard, and he created a great innovation process called Killer Questions. And one of the killer questions that you are uh, you could ask, uh, and what killer questions do is they force you to look at your product or your problem in a way that you would never have expected in order to come up with other ideas. Mm. And one of the killer questions was who is using your product in a way that you never expected? I'm guessing that the obvious buyer of the 180 light is some kind of outdoors person. Yes. Um, and probably make up the majority of your sales. Correct me if I'm wrong, but have you been surprised by some other target audiences that are buying from you? I, I have been surprised. Um, I, I actually did a survey over the summer um, to, to all the customers that we have to kind of get an idea of what the primary buyer was doing with the light. And I think that, well, the number one use is for running, which which did surprise me a little bit, to be honest with you. I I expected it to be a little bit more on the side of like camping, hiking, rock climbing, you know, just more of that. Um, not that running isn't, you know, an outdoorsy type thing, but I, I didn't expect that. Um, but the one that I think surprised me the most and the, the one that has grown more than I expected it to, not to any credit of anything that I've done or we've done on this side is uh, the industrial market. I don't know what else to describe it as is, you know, somebody that wears it on a hard hat and is working in a subway or is a H working with air conditioning and heating units and under a house or in attics or plumbers that are under sinks. That is probably the biggest surprise from my point of view. What have you done about that? Have you then gone and gone? Because that basically what in a marketing kind of context, you've now got a number of different avatars, a number right. of different kind of personalities that you could be message creating personalized messages to. Have you got campaigns that hit the industrial market between the eyes and the joggers between the eyes and the campers? Are you doing that? I, I don't feel like we've done a very good job at um, doing much with that market that I that I mentioned, like the, you know, the HVAC or the, you know, the plumbers and electricians and stuff. And, and I think that the reason that I, I, I've held back on that is I'm just not 100% sure how to approach that mm-hmm. and where to go to, to find those. I think the most success we found directly working with that avatar, that clientele would be um, working with wholesale stores that sell directly to, to customers like that. So an electric supply store or... Um, a utilities supply company that sells to you know people that work on electric lines and things like that. The whole social influencer thing, although I think has become a little bit overdone, and yeah. who is a social influencer anymore? But you know, weeding through all the mud and then finding that one person who you know has the ultimate blog on jogging or the ultimate blog on whatever ever topic or kind of person you wanted to get to and probably sending them sending them you know a 180 light and a belt light and saying hey here you go and in the hope uh, that they will post it on their social media or do a review of it we've done some of that um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think like you said it, it's it's kind of a I don't know if it's a to describe it as a watered down world now. I just everyone's a social media influencer now, and it's it's kind of hard to know who's what. And you can buy likes, and um, it is tricky to decipher where and how to go about doing that. But but definitely have done that, and reached out, and sent a lot of sample lights out to people. How much it returns? That's the other hard part of that. 
I don't know. What's the most effective marketing initiative you've taken, Amin, that has you know you, given you a spike in sales? Oh, that is a good question. I, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I, I've experimented with different ads and things like that. And, and I, I, I do believe, I guess, as I think overall with this, probably people that would be classified as influencers and have credibility to some audience, the, that is that probably still has produced the best return. Um, the, and I hesitated even saying that initially, I guess, because it's the process of weeding through so many people that don't return anything before finally hitting someone that does, that's the tricky mm-hmm. part of all of that. We mentioned customer service earlier, and not customer service, customer experience. What are you doing? If I buy a 180 light direct from you, are you making it an exciting experience? Am I going to expect a, bo- a nice box or presentation or any follow-up kind of? What, what do you do? Not as good as we should be doing, to be honest with you. Um, I, I mean, it's it's nothing extraordinary. I mean, we obviously try to get it there as fast as possible, follow up with, you know, just being as helpful as we can with any emails or questions. Um, mm-hmm. We, I mean, as far as like fixing or correcting problems, I mean, there is no question we, we pay for any returns that, you know, for the customer has, if there's any problems or issues, we, we replace everything and anything at any point, free of charge. Um, it's, but as far as the actual experience of receiving something, I mean, it's, that is something that we definitely need to do better. Um, do you know what I love about your business? I, you're my 483rd guest on my show. And I have a lot of successful business owners come through, you know, people who are, who've made millions if not yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. And every now and then I speak to someone like you who is just starting out and carving out a, a living from something they've invented, which I think is awesomely ad- admirable. But you're at the beginning of your journey and yeah. I got I get a sense from you that you are, I think, I think it's an awesome product, number one. So you've got a great product. You're excited by it. There is so much that you could be doing. I look at this and go, there's so many things that you could be doing. Um, what's holding you back? Uh, man, lots of things. I, I, I think that the biggest thing is, is kind of that trepidation, like I talked about. I, I, I've got to work to get over that and, and try things out and you know, not, not be held back by what if this doesn't work, but just dive in and try stuff. And if it fails, it fails and you move on. And um, that's probably my... Do you believe that? I reckon, I reckon you've said that probably to yourself a number of times. Yes. Yeah, yeah that I, I need to just try more things. I mean, that's just, that's the way it works, right? Just experiment, be more assertively experimenting and trying and doing more. Because the way I found you was through Noah Kagan's um, podcast where he, where he kind of worked through you, you and your business, which I thought yes. was really interesting. Yeah. And that's I got the sense. Because, I mean, um, from a size of business point of view right now, you know, again, you're small. Um, and I just think it's so exciting as to what could be done. Um, you know, you've got a blog on your website that um, you're not very prolific in your blogging. I reckon that's an awesome opportunity to um, start to get, you know, some probably good search engine optimization out there. Absolutely. Getting, um, telling some stories. Do you allocate much of a marketing budget to 180 Light each year or is it a bit of sort of like you see something and you just go ahead and do it? That's pretty much what it is at this point. Yeah, it's it's not super well structured or um, planned out a lot. I mean, that that experience with uh, Noe Kagan was a big shift for me in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. Partially because of um, the timing 
for what it was. And I was just in the process of finishing buying out my business partner in this process, which has kind of opened up, uh, I felt like for me, opportunity to kind of just, I, I can make the decision fully on my own. I don't have to ha- I don't have this, you know, there lingering on the side of me. Um, and I think in some ways it's just, it, it was really helpful to get on and talk to somebody about the process and kind of be, I mean, I guess to put it, frankly, just criticize a little bit to be like, look, why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing this? You have this, 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 and this, what's happening? And, and, um, kind of facing that reality is not always the best, but it, it triggers, it, I don't know, triggers reality to, to come down crashing on you really quickly. Yeah, yeah Totally. Well, you know, as small business owners, we so often operate in silos where, you know, we're head down, bum up, just, you know, trying to keep the dream alive. And unless you sort of look up and reach out for either advice or mentorship or go and find other people who are in the same boat, listening to podcasts of interviews with, you know, I'm just looking at at my archive now and, you know, I've interviewed some incredible e-commerce stories and, and I, again, like I look at some of these ones that I have interviewed about six months ago, I interviewed a lady. <laughs> she owns a business called snottynoses.com.au and she'd um, discovered, she hadn't invented herself, but she'd discovered the battery-powered snot sucker for mm. infant babies <laughs> who couldn't blow their nose. <laughs> mm. And she's now doing over a million bucks uh, wow. a year, right? And it was just through, well, you say it's unbelievable. I reckon you could be there. Uh, relatively quickly. Um, yeah. It's just about being methodical in the way you go about marketing. It's about upping the way you're presenting the product and you're, you say, clearly they say there's an education process. But um, yeah, I, I just think you are, you're setting yourself up for, for a really good few years ahead. And, um, well, I really those, appreciate that. As long as those copycats don't get the better of you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyone offered to buy the business yet, Amin? Very early on, uh, we right before we did the Kickstarter, so it, would be, it was more like selling the concept to somebody. Um, they basically offered us the amount of money we were asking for at Kickstarter. So we were asking for $15,000. They said, we'll give you the 15000 but we get the idea. That was That is as close to an offer as has been uh, thus far. So, <laughs> Where would you like to see the business in five years' time? Would you like, to be, like it to be an empire? Would you like to have sold it and moved on to something else? You know, you know what I do love is I, I love the process of developing the product, and and I would like to see. I I, I don't know that I would like to see the, the sell the business. I, I enjoy the process. I would like to see the product improve, but I would also obviously like to see um, a big expansion of sales and growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of you, you've got you've got three different lights. You've got the one eighty light. You've got the the belt light, and you've got the helmet light. Uh, you've got accessories. And you've got bundles. You've certainly done some product extensions already. Where's all that coming from? Are you better to focus on the one thing or you're actually finding sales are spread right across what looks like to be about 10 or 12 SKUs? Well, so the difference between the, the three main products is actually not, I mean, it's hardly anything. So the belt light is essentially just an accessory that you, you can take the light and you can move it from a belt to the head, the headband, or vice mm-hmm. versa. So when you purchase that option, you actually get a headband and a belt with the light and the battery pack that can be moved. So you can wear it as a headband, or you can wear it as a belt. Same thing with the helmet option. You're just getting a band that is designed for a helmet. It's bigger. It's got a non-slip liner. So they're, I mean, they are separate, but they're really like subtle 
additions to make varied product. Nice. I like the bundles. You sell a few bundles. I always think packaging things up makes it easier to buy. Yeah, I mean, that's in some ways, I, that, that was a really popular way for, for the light to be purchased early on. The battery was had a very low battery life. And so bundling with a separate battery, so there were two batteries that came together, was really popular. The battery has since improved and the battery life is better and longer. Um, we don't sell as many bundles as we did originally. And that I, honestly, hindsight on it, I, I think that was a mistake to ever even do that. And so... I mean, idealistically in the future, that's going to be something that, that I would like to actually fade out to, to not even have that as an option. I mean, you can buy an extra battery if you want, but it's not like to remove bundles pretty much. You got another idea in the uh, bubbling away in the back of your mind, Amin? I am actually, I actually, I actually launched a Kickstarter yesterday for a new product. <laughs> so, oh, I love it. <laughs> dare, dare I say, there it lies your problem. You, you get distracted. What, you get, what is it? So, so this actually kind of stemmed from uh, a request we received shortly after the Kickstarter. Someone had backed the the belt, the Trek belt. So they were a runner, and they they basically said, "Look, the belt is great. Love to run with it at night, but I have no place to put a phone. Typically, when I run with a running belt, I have it's a running belt that I keep, you know, my phone in or my wallet or whatever. But there's it's just a belt with a light on it, which is great. I need a pouch or storage. So this." Is essentially this is a this is a pouch that can be added to the belt, but it also can be added to anything, right? So it's a cell phone pouch or card holder pouch that you can add to the belt if you're going to run. But if you don't have a pocket and you want to just put on, you know, wear your wallet on your pants, you can do that without a pocket. If that makes sense. Okay, so it's sort of part of the family. It is. It's an extension of, like I said, it came from a request from that, and that was three years ago, and I've just kind of been slowly letting that stew in the back of my mind and finally decided to do something about it. Well, that's awesome. I mean, what I'll do, mate, um, now for people who are listening and they want to go and have a look or buy a 180 light, um, are you sending overseas? I do. Yeah, sure do. So um, 180light.com, that's the word one with the number 80light.com is the place where you can go and check out um, Amin's products. And Amin, I'll get you to send me a link to the Kickstarter campaign that you launched and I'll put that in the show notes and hopefully you can raise a a few bucks. And your homework is to go and watch the Aussie film, Kenny. Got it. Thanks for sharing your story, man. It's I, I, again, you know, I'd be excited to speak to you in three, four years' time because I think you'll have come a, a long, long way, and um, I'm excited for you. So, all the best. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate you Let me come on. Well, there you go, team. Amin Avi, the inventor of the 180 light. Now, as you probably picked up, I think Amin is on a winner with the 180 light, although if he's not careful, he'll be overrun by competition, I reckon, pretty quickly. There's just so much more that he could be doing from a marketing perspective, including improving the photography on his website. I'd love to see. Go and have a look at the website and see what he's got there now. I'd love to see much more detailed, close-up, crystal clear shots of the actual light and the associated accessories. He could be running Facebook and Insta campaigns targeting different user groups like joggers, hikers, cleaners, tradies who work at night in enclosed spaces like he was when he was cleaning portaloos. He could make the buying process so much easier on his website. In, in fact, uh, making his website having a much greater e-commerce look and feel, you know, things like trust icons, shipping details, guarantees, testimonials, all up front 
So you see that immediately. I actually sent him a few links to interviews I've done with other e-commerce store owners who are actually smashing it, including Brian Chapman from Power Planter and Laura Klein from Snotty Noses, Nathan Huppets from Costumes Online. They're past interviews. I'll put links in the show notes. If you want to know how to really smash e-commerce, they are fantastic case studies to listen to. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Amon. Attention grabber number one, I like the way he makes a point of steering clear of the naysayers. We've all got to do that. Hang around uplifting people, avoid the negatives. Attention grabber number two, I like how Amin is aware that there are a different number of groups of people using the one only light, like joggers and hikers and tradies and all that. Although right now he's not doing any individual targeting, which I reckon he'll change that pretty shortly. If he's a smart fellow, and I reckon he is. And attention grabber number three, I like the fact that he's retained 100% ownership of his business whilst using Kickstarter to raise the money he needs to move forward. Um, I think that's cool. You know, if you can do that, then that's probably a good outcome. And he's got that second Kickstarter campaign underway. And again, I'll put links in the show notes to that. You can find those links over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 483, where I'd also love you to leave one tip for Amin in the comment section of those show notes. Smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 483. Well, that's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, be sure to block out some time and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, indeed, Lee Doodley. It's time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious marketing action. And today's winner is... Ben Amos of EngageVideoMarketing.com, who looks like he is on the Sunshine Coast, which is where I am. So he's a local. And Ben says, hey, Timbo. First of all, just wanted to reach out and say thanks for everything you do and for the gold in your podcast. My pleasure, Ben. I've been listening, I think, for now over four years and got so much value and inspiration from you and your guests. Our pleasure, Ben. In fact, your podcast was more or less my introduction to podcasting. As such, a couple of years ago, I actually started my own podcast, which is now going from strength to strength. That's awesome. Probably the biggest thing I've learned from you is the skill of interviewing authentically, something that I think you do skillfully. (laughs) I try. Uh, This has really helped me uh, in my own podcasting journey, says Ben. In fact, just this year, my podcast, now in episode 117, has led to things, this is amazing, has led to things I never really thought possible, such as interviewing some serious names in the digital marketing and video marketing space globally and... Here's the really amazing thing. Most recently being invited to be a speaker at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego in 2020. Like, that's the boomerang effect in action. You be helpful in your marketing, you engage people, and amazing things will happen besides getting more inquiry, more sales. You'll get invited to speak at things if you want to, or you'll get media coverage. Who knows? Someone might even send you a present. 
Anyway, Tim, I'm reaching out for two reasons. Number one, to say thank you. A long-time listener, first-time caller, ha-ha. And I missed out on saying hi to you personally at the recent Caloundra Chamber event where you spoke. Oh, you should have come up and said, hey. But my second reason for reaching out is to see if you want to be interviewed on my podcast. And he goes on to pitch that, which I think is great, and I have agreed to that. Take care, Ben Amos. And he is from EngageVideoMarketing.com, and he also has a podcast to the same name. I suggest you go and have a listen to that. Ben, for taking marketing action, for being an ace business owner, you have won a 180 headlamp, valued at 100 bucks, some boxing gloves from Fitness Enhancement, they're worth 40 bucks, an entire range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits, valued at over 500 bucks, access to Jeff Anderson's video marketing course for 197 bucks. You don't need that, but we'll send it to you anyway. $50 sendle voucher, $100 tradie voucher, promotion on this show and a backlink in the show notes. What more could you ask for? Ben, I think all your Christmases have come at once, just between you and I. Everyone else to enter, send me an email, tim at timreed.com.au. Just tell me one idea you've implemented from this show and what impact it's had on your business. If I read it out on air, you win. Before we wrap things up, just a reminder that you'll find hundreds more episodes full of ideas to grow your business over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. And if you're getting value from listening, and I hope you are, then don't keep it a secret. Be sure to let other business owners know about the podcast. Next week, we catch up with Lida McClellan, who owns a book publishing business out of New York called Talk Plus Tell. Now, Lida has helped hundreds of business owners just like you write, publish, and promote their first book, and she's going to explain exactly how she does it. So pen and paper at the ready, team. This podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed, and produced by Matt Dwyer. Until next week, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>